0: Just what you've been waiting for Movies, TV, music and more Follow, subscribe, stay up to date The episode's dropping on Monday's Is the man, is the man, watch that is the man, is the man, watch that is the man, is the man, watch that oh. Podcast Hey, welcome to the Matt Watch That podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, I wanted to kick off May by celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. All of my reviews, rants, and randomness in this episode will feature actors, directors, writers, and athletes who are part of the AAPI community. According to the AsianPacificHeritage.gov website, the month of May was chosen to commemorate the immigration of the first Japanese people to the United States on May 7, 1843, and to mark the anniversary of the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad on May 10, 1869, whom the majority of workers to lay the tracks were Chinese immigrants. This has not been an easy year for the AAPI community. Hate incitements have increased in cities across the nation. People are being physically assaulted and harassed with racial slurs, all because of COVID-19. Now, I've heard people call it the China virus or Wuhan virus. There is a precedent for that, I understand. Naming diseases after the place it was developed is common. West Nile virus, Rocky Mountain fever, Ebola virus. Lyme disease was named after a city in Connecticut. The difference is there aren't any news stories about people being assaulted who are wearing an Argyle sweater and loafers without socks. Calling it the China virus or Wuhan virus has helped create a stigma against a country and a group of people. It's open season, not only on Chinese people, but anyone of Asian descent. I mean, if you really want to send a message to China, maybe you should boycott products like cell phones, made in China. Clothing, made in China. Video game systems, made in China. Children's toys. Made in China. Televisions. Made in China. It's gonna be a fun time in your house when you have to entertain kids without any screens. But that's the one thing that Americans do really well. Taking the easy route. It's easy to blame a member of the AAPI community for a disease that they had no control over, rather than look at the incompetence of the people you had control over voting into office. New York became a hotspot, the epicenter of the disease, not by travel from China, but from Europe. It was Muffy from London, so the China travel ban might have saved some lives, but the champagne was popped a little too soon. 500 lives and counting too soon. While I've never put too much faith in our government, two weeks ago, the Senate did pass a bill targeting anti-Asian hate crimes, and I hope those that commit them are punished to the fullest extent of the law. There will always be racism and prejudice, but it's our responsibility as a society not to mainstream them. Do your part. (laughs) On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of 5 stars. 1 star is Skip It, 2 stars Watch at Your Own Risk, 3 stars Standard Fair, 4 stars Worth Checking Out, and 5 stars Must See. Now if I give a title 5 stars, you know what it means. I'm not comparing it to Casablanca or Jaws or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. I'll keep the spoilers to a minimum, tangents to a maximum. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie, Crazy Rich Asians from 2018, about a professor who accompanies her boyfriend to his best friend's wedding in Singapore and discovers he comes from an affluent family. It was directed by the talented John M. Chu, who helmed Step Up 2, his directorial debut, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Gem and the Holograms, Now You See Me 2. Very varied in his genres, but they all have like a glitziness about them, Is that even a word? Alphonse. Alphonse. Is glitziness a word? Look that up for me. He's also to thank for bringing Justin Bieber, Never Say Never, to the screen. So, uh, thanks. This year, his movie In the Heights will be released, based on the Broadway show with music and lyrics by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Looking forward to that one. The screenplay was written by Peter Chiarelli, who scribed The Proposal and Now You See Me Too, and Adele Lim, who wrote Raya and the Last Dragon and episodes of Private Practice, One Tree Hill, Life on Mars, Las Vegas, and Lethal Weapon. It was based on the New York Times bestselling novel by Kevin Kwan. The movie starts off with the introduction of Rachel Chu, who's an economics professor at NYU. She's visited by her boyfriend Nick Young, and over lunch, he asks if she wants to come to Singapore to his best friend's wedding. While there, she can finally meet his family, which has been a bit of a mystery, so she eagerly accepts. The happy couple is portrayed by Constance Wu, who was on Fresh Off the Boat for six seasons, 116 episodes, and appeared in Hustlers with J-Lo. And Henry Golding, who's been in a simple favor in Last Christmas. He'll be starring as Snake Eyes in the G.I. Joe Origins movie this summer, which I am stoked for. Hopefully we'll all be able to see it in theaters, right? So when they reach the airport, they're greeted by a valet and informed that they've been bumped up to first class. Rachel says that they can't afford it, and Nick kind of mentions that his family is paying for the tickets through their business connections. It's then she begins to realize that her boyfriend comes from wealth, a fact that she never knew before, and wants to know what she's getting into. Girl, you have no idea. They arrive in Singapore and are met by Nick's best friend Colin Koo and the bride-to-be Araminta. They enjoy a night out of drinks and local cuisine, which looked amazing. Nothing like the vendors in Manhattan. The next day, Rachel visits her friend and former college roommate, Pick Lynn. She's portrayed by Aquafina, born in Stony Brook, Long Island represent. She is known for Nora from Queens, Oceans 8, and The Farewell, which earned her critical acclaim. She became the first woman of Asian descent to win a Golden Globe for lead actress. She brings the comic relief to the film, but it's never too much, not really over the top. It's during their lunch when it's revealed how influential the young family is in Singapore and that the coup's wedding will be the biggest event of the century. That night, Nick and Rachel attend a party at his grandmother's estate where he introduces her to his mother. Eleanor is played by the incredible, incomparable Michelle Yeoh. She's had roles in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Memoirs of a Geisha, and Tomorrow Never Dies. Legendary actress. Her handprints appear in the Avenue of the Stars in Hong Kong. It's absolutely no surprise to anyone that she nails this role as a guarded and overprotective mother. The reception to Rachel couldn't have been colder if it were held in a kitchen freezer, but you have to see it from the mother's point of view. There was an expectation that Nick would come back to Singapore and become the next chairman of the young corporation, but while he was in New York, he met Rachel, fell in love, and decided to stay. Eleanor also sees Rachel as beneath her son in status. He was meant to marry someone of high society who can keep up with their lifestyle, not a commoner. There's also belief that she's only marrying him for money. This tests the relationship between Rachel and Nick. Will they fold under the pressure, or will love prevail? I'll give you a hint. They're making two sequels. This was a charming movie on all fronts. I really enjoyed it. It was a fairly traditional romantic comedy formula with the element of wealth and a backdrop of Asian culture, but there were a few surprises that made it feel fresh. What I liked most was seeing all these different locations on screen. The film was shot in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, Singapore. I'm really tired of seeing New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago as the centers of the storytelling world. How many times can you show me the Empire State Building? I get it. I can draw it from memory. Sears Tower, or whatever it's called. I know what it looks like. The Capitol Records Building? Been there, done that. And let me tell you, if I were a Hollywood filmmaker, I would set my movie in the most exotic places just so I can travel on their dime. Well, I'm kind of wishing I didn't say that out loud. The acting felt very natural, casual. I've said it before, but you could really sense the history between the characters. And I think that's an important distinction because I've seen movies where it's just nothing there. It shows you the quality of actors here, though there were a couple of times that I thought the actors portraying rich young women were over the top, but after accidentally seeing clips of the Real Housewives and the Kardashians, no, no, that's, um, pretty much how they act. I liked the direction and the visuals were reflective of the moments being captured. During The Bachelor and The Bachelorette parties, it was filmed like a late 90s Puff Daddy music video. Or was he P. Diddy at that point? Alphonse... Alphonse, look that up for me. In the more intimate moments, the camera movements were minimal and unintrusive. I think an interesting takeaway from the movie was that no matter how affluent the family was, they still had a deep appreciation for traditions. There was a great scene where they sat around the dining room table making dumplings from their grandmother's recipe. They have an honor and respect for their elders. They don't sarcastically shout, Okay, Boomer! They also have a reverence for nature, celebrating the Tan Hao, a plant that rarely blooms and only at night, a fleeting flower. The soundtrack includes a diverse mix of music, including popular songs covered by Asian artists. Some include Money, That's What I Want, Material Girl, and Can't Help Falling in Love. It was fun hearing these modern interpretations. They do hammer home the idea of affluence with their song selections. It's like they did a Google search for songs about wealth. Biggie's Mo' Money Mo' Problems, Holland & Oates' Rich Girl, Kanye's Gold Digger. The score was composed by Brian Tyler, who wrote the music for big-budget franchises including Marvel, The Expendables, and The Fast and the Furious. He might seem like an odd choice for this movie, but he really knocks it out of the park. He smartly used big band-era sounds, which harkens back to some classic romantic comedies of the past. The songs could easily work in films like Roman Holiday, Some Like It Hot, or When Harry Met Sally. The runtime is two hours, one minute. Now you know what I'm going to say about it. There were places that it could have been trimmed down to a normal romantic comedy length. I could only watch rich people do rich people things for so long. It had a budget of $30 million and grossed $238 million at the box office. It was nominated for two Golden Globe Awards, Best Performance by an Actress in a Motion Picture Musical or Comedy for Constance Wu, and Best Motion Picture Musical or Comedy. Two sequels have been greenlit, based on the novels China Rich Girlfriend and Rich People Problems. Ultimately, the movie comes down to No Room at the Inn, Poker Stars, Trending, Economy People, Street Food Vendors, Mr. Harry Mao, Coco Chara, Serial Killer Letters, Who's Your Daddy, and Mahjong. I give it a solid and enthusiastic 4 out of 5 stars. Add half a star if you wish your relationships were like a romantic movie. If you've seen Crazy Rich Asians and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Dun. Moving right along, each episode I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called watch that Playback. Jeanette Lee, one of my favorite people. She's an athlete who dominated the world of billiards, who you might have seen playing nine ball on ESPN in the late 90s and early 2000s. She's the daughter of Korean immigrants and grew up in Brooklyn, New York. She started playing pool in 1989 and was soon dubbed the Black Widow because of the way she lures people to the table, then eats them alive. It's an appropriate nickname and, to be honest, one of the coolest in sports. While she's playing, she has on a stone cold face. I mean, we're talking furrowed brow, eyes like daggers, 100% intensity. She rose up through the rankings and became the number one women's professional billiard association player in the 90s. Many tournaments to her name. She was frequently pitted against Alison Fisher and Karen Kaur. Their matches were always entertaining. She helped bring the sport to a whole new level of popularity in America. She had the right balance of competitiveness and charisma to be the face of billiards. In 2001, she won a gold medal for the United States at the World Games. She was inducted into the WPBA Hall of Fame in 2012, the Billiard Congress of America Hall of Fame in 2013, and the Asian Hall of Fame in 2015. Now, there is some sad news. In February of this year, Jeanette announced that she had been diagnosed with stage 4 ovarian cancer. It's not her first health crisis. At the age of 12, she was diagnosed with scoliosis and has undergone 11 surgeries, including one where rods were inserted into her back to keep it aligned. She has overcome a lot of adversity and is currently going through chemotherapy. She intends to take the fight to this truly awful disease. There is a GoFundMe set up for the well-being of her three daughters, which will go toward future care and education. It's the least we can do as a society to ease the mind of an ailing mother. You can find the page at gofundme.com slash f slash Jeanette Lee Legacy Fund. Written out, that's gofundme.com slash f slash Jeanette Lee legacy fund. In tribute to Jeanette Lee and her extraordinary abilities, I've selected a few videos featuring the billiard star. In the first, she explains the origin of her nickname. In the second, she attempts to sink 12 billiard balls in one shot. In the last, she teaches how to jump a pool ball. I hope you enjoy these videos, and if you can, please donate to her GoFundMe page. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Into the Badlands. I used to work at AMC Networks, It was my first job out of college, where I grew up as a young adult. I liked the people there, and the work was new and exciting. But after a while, I outgrew the position and moved to other opportunities. As part of my job, I watched AMC almost every day for five years, and after I left, I needed to detox. But when I saw the promos for Into the Badlands, I was immediately intrigued. Set in a post-apocalyptic world, there are seven barons that rule portions of the land, People flocked to them for protection and became servants, some of whom were trained as skilled fighters. Guns have been banished and technology has devolved. There's a symbiotic relationship between the barons, but each have plans to dethrone one another for supremacy over the region. The series stars Chinese-American actor Daniel Wu as Sonny, a mercenary who's starting to have a change of heart about his path. He comes across a boy named M.K., played by Aramis Knight, who has a special gift that Minerva, a.k.a. The Widow, wants to utilize to her advantage. She's portrayed by Emily Beecham and my favorite character in the series. Other supporting roles are played by Stephen Lang, Dean Charles Chapman, Eleanor Matsura, and the great Lance Henriksen. The series was created by Alfred Goh and Miles Millar. They previously co-wrote the screenplays for Shanghai Noon, Herbie Fully Loaded, and The Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. They were credited as story writers for Lethal Weapon 4 and Spider-Man 2. They also developed the television series Smallville. The first season was filmed in New Orleans before moving the production to Ireland for the rest of the series. The cinematography is amazing, and I've never seen locations like these on television before. The costume designers should have won awards. They're extraordinary looking. The production values rival that of Game of Thrones. I have no idea what the budget for this show was, but I guarantee every penny was on that screen. Pretty impressive for a basic cable show. The fight scenes are brilliantly choreographed and are reminiscent of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon with a dash of Bruce Lee. I'm a fan of medieval weaponry, and they use everything from swords to crossbows. I'm certain a few people were turned off by the opening scene in the pilot episode. There's a good amount of violence and over-exaggerated blood, and they have the cracking bone sound down to an art, but don't let that overshadow what is an excellent show. The theme song was written by Mike Shinoda from Linkin Park, with the series score by David Porter, who also composed the music for another AMC series, Breaking Bad. I cannot recommend this series enough. When it was on the air, I was singing its praises to everyone in the industry. Into the Badlands was on for three seasons, 32 episodes, from 2015 to 2019. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. I do plan on having an interactive element, but I need those listeners. So follow, subscribe, like, and spread the word. Until next time, kiss 36 hours. Bye. Into the Badlands was on for three seasons, 32 episodes, from 2019 to 2000 nothing. <laughs> That's wrong. She became the first woman of Asian descent to win a golden gloam. A gloam. They also have a reverence for nature, celebrating the broom the broom <laughs> how it sweeps the floor she's had roles in couching tiger couching couching tiger he's just sitting relaxing